0: Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast-to-coast across the USA here on the HIA Radio Network. I'm your host, Carrie Hall, my producer, Mr. Paul Vernon. This is your show, America. Thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened-to talk shows throughout the United States, 293 affiliates strong, thanks to all of you in our listening audience. We are broadcasting today from Cape Girardeau, Missouri, the Cape 95.7 FM here in Cape Girardeau. This is one of our shows we're doing in the St. Francis. Healthcare System series. We're broadcasting these nationally, even though we are focused here in southeast Missouri. They're very interesting shows. Today's show is going to be particularly interesting as we focus on neurological issues like epilepsy and other things. So I think you're going to enjoy this show. You can follow me on Facebook at America's Healthcare Advocate. The podcast platforms are Spotify, Apple Play, SoundCloud, iTunes, and TuneIn. The website is America's Healthcare Advocate.com. America's americashealthcareadvocate.com. You can send me an email from there if you have a question or a comment. I am happy to help you. If there's something you'd like me to talk about on the show, please let me know. The website, again, americashealthcareadvocate.com. All right, today in studio with me, we have three neurologists. We're very fortunate, as I said. We have Dr. Mark Ferenberg from St. Francis Healthcare System. We have Dr. Andrew Godby, president of St. Francis Medical Partners and St. Francis Health Plans, and Dr. Brandon Scott, neurosurgeon at St. Francis Health System. We are gonna be discussing various topics today in neuroscience. We're gonna be talking about epilepsy. We're gonna be talking about stroke. We're gonna talk about technologies, treatments, and other neurological problems. So we've got a fascinating show lined up here today. Welcome, doctors. Glad to have you on board today. Thanks for having us. Well, a little bit about the doctors. Let's start out with Dr. Mark Ferenberg. He's a neurologist at Cape Neurology Specialist, St. Francis Healthcare System medical partner. Dr. Ferenberg joined St. Francis Health System in 2021. He has extensive experience in neurology, complex epilepsy care, including in publishing research on seizure-related arrhythmias and co-writing a practical manual for epilepsy care. Dr. Ferenberg earned his medical education at the University of Arkansas Medical Sciences in Little Rock, Arkansas, his internship and fellowship were fulfilled at the University of Kansas Medical Center in Kansas City. He is a board certified American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology and an active member of the American Academy of Neurology and American Epilepsy Society. Dr. Andrew Godby is an MDMSPH president of St. Francis Medical Partners and St. Francis Health Plans and neurologist at Cape Neurology Specialist, St. Francis Healthcare System Medical Partner. Dr. Godby is an MD MSPH, joined St. Francis System in 2010. He practiced neurology more than 10 years, specializing in diagnostic management and treatment of complicated disorders and injuries of the nervous system along with practicing neurology at St. Francis. He serves as the president of St. Francis Medical Partners and St. Francis Health, Health Plans. Godby earned his medical education from the St. Louis University School of Medicine by by his internship, residency, and fellowship from Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. He is a board-certified American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology. Dr. Brandon Scott is a DO neurosurgeon at Cape Spine Neurosurgery, a St. Francis Healthcare System medical partner. Brandon Scott, DO, joined St. Francis Healthcare System in 2010. He has practiced neurosurgery for more than 10 years. Dr. Scott earned his medical education from Kansas, Kansas City University of Medicine Biosciences followed by his internship and residency at Ohio University College of Osteopathic Medicine in Dayton, Ohio. He is a board-certified American osteopathic Neurology surgeon. We are very happy to have them here. That was a mouthful. It's we're like I said, we're happy to have you all here, Doctor Godby. Let's start out with you. You're the president of the Medical Partners and the president of the Healthcare System. Let's talk about St. Francis. You've got a nationally rated hospital that has won countless awards in various fields. Let's talk a little bit about Neuroscience's Institute and what you ha- what we have here in Southeast
2: Missouri with St. Francis Healthcare System, Doctor. So our Neurosciences Institute at St. Francis comprises multiple different specialties um, that provide care for our patients. So we have neurosurgery, neurology, physiatry, and interventional pain. Um, And we work together to treat our patients the best we can. Um, And we bring uh, sophisticated technology, um, great experience, and uh, to, to help take care of our patients with neurologic disease. So how many
0: different treatments do you have in neurology here and what main areas do you cover at St. Francis Neurological
2: Institute? Everything from stroke to epilepsy, it looks like, doctor. So, yeah, so so stroke, epilepsy, um ALS, uh, multiple sclerosis, we have a concussion clinic, we have a wheelchair clinic, um a stroke transitional care clinic. Um we have many different specialties within neurosciences. It's 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 very interesting because you know when when you're a neurologist you know, you, you take care of so many different diseases, It's and, and the Neuroscience Institute is even more. There's so many things that we, we can treat um, successfully. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's a great time to be in the field. So let's talk a little bit about one of those particular specialties, which seems to affect a
0: lot of us that are chronologically challenged, like myself. There have been huge advances in recovery and stroke treatment. I mentioned to you off air that I had interviewed a KU doctor a number of years ago, and she was an expert. and She came in to describe the two treatments, two new treatments, and she called them Drano and Rotor Rooter. So, you know, this was regarding going in to get getting the clot out of the brain. So let's talk a little bit about how that program works. And you have a specific team for stroke care here, how they treat, how is it different, and what are the treatments available, doctor?
2: So we have focused on evidence-based guidelines. Um, And stroke care, especially acute stroke care, has advanced significantly over the past three to four years. So when a patient, so if someone has concerns over a stroke, it's really about showing up as soon as possible. So the sooner you show up, the more options we have for treating you. Um, you show up, we have the, the, the Drano, so we have the uh, TPA, which is, uh, will help dissolve the clot. Um, the roto router is, you know, we can actually now, we have proven evidence and technology to be able to go up and remove the clot literally from the artery um to try to reperfuse the brain get the blood back to the brain um and really it's been shown to to decrease morbidity or you know decrease your chance or increase your chance um of recovery i mean it's really it's it's a great time to be in stroke care right now with all the the ability um to take care of these patients you know 10 15 years ago Maybe, you know, it was just here's an aspirin, you know, we hope you recover. We you know, we do your best with therapy. Now it's we have patients come in, we have sophisticated imaging to allow us to decide, you know, what is the best options you have. Um, you know, we give you the TPA, we can you remove the clot, and then we have advancements with just recovery. You know, how do we manage our patients in the hospital? Um and then how do we how do they recover after the hospitalization? Okay, so let's talk a little bit about that because
0: you mentioned time and time is critically important when we're talking about stroke. If you're showing symptoms, we'll talk about those in a minute, but talk about how important it is to get the treatment as quickly as possible and get in front of the care team at St. Francis Healthcare System.
2: Uh, they used to say time is brain and that is always the, the, the truth. But now, you know, maybe... Ten years ago, we had a small window. When your stroke occurred, we had three hours. To, to make a difference, you know, for the TPA. And then over time, we've been able to expand that with our abilities to image um, and the new technologies. Now it's a 24-hour window. But once again, the earlier we make an impact, the better, off, the better off you'll be. The studies have shown that, you know, we can decrease morbidity. So you just have a better outcome the earlier you show up.
0: So in other words, it's, if it's within, let's say, two or three hours of the time you think you've had a stroke, that's when you want to get to the hospital and get in front of the screen stroke care team and let them do the imaging and then decide the course of
2: treatment and what it's going to be correct i mean if you really think about it what is a stroke well an, an ischemic stroke you have a blocked blood vessel and so how do you remove that 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 block so that you can get blood flow back to back to the brain and so it just makes sense it's like you've got to show up the earlier the better because the longer you wait the more damage is occurring and so it's vitally important to show up So the sooner that they get the treatment, the greater the chances for a
0: full recovery. You know, I've done a lot of shows where I've seen people that have had these strokes walk out of the hospital two weeks later and they're perfectly normal. They got in at the correct amount of time because time is of the essence in this situation. So that's the kind of message we want to get out to people today. They need to understand that that's what they need to do. Don't
2: wait around. I don't know how many patients I've had was like, "Uh, I don't know if this is really a stroke. Let me think about it. Let me sleep on it thing you can do. <laughs> yes. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about
0: symptoms. What are the symptoms you should look for? You know, what if this is your spouse or it's your grandmother or someone else in your family? So, you know, whatever the case may be, we're going to talk about that when we come back from the break. So stay tuned. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. The doctors is in the house. Stay tuned.
1: what oh, tell me, darling.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast-to-coast across the USA here on the HIA Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to the website americashealthcareadvocate.com. Our producer, Mr. Paul Vernon. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. Joining me in studio today, we're very fortunate, Dr. Mark Ferenberg, Dr. Andrew Godby, and Dr. Brandon Scott, all neurologists from... St. Francis Healthcare System. We're very happy to have them here in studio with us and very fortunate to have them here in studio with us. We're discussing different neurological issues like epilepsy, stroke. We've got a lot more coming that we're going to talk about. If you want to make an appointment at St. Francis, maybe you've got a problem or thought you may have a problem. The website is sfmc.net, sfmc.net for St. Francis Healthcare System. So let's get back to this. You know, this is you, one of Dr. Ferenberg mentioned this in the break. People who say, well, why don't I think I'll just sleep on it. That's absolutely the worst thing that you can do. And I think it's important. People understand that. Am I close on that, doctor? Yeah, I always tell people it.
3: it it's better because most people say, well, I, I don't want to bother anyone, so I don't want to go to the hospital. I would rather you get better in the car drive to the hospital, and you can turn around if you have to, but please don't, go ahead and go in. But it's better to get better on the way to the hospital than worse sitting at home.
0: And that's unfortunately what a lot of people do is they wait, then the problem gets greater and greater and it exacerbates the problem. And then they have a major problem. Maybe there isn't gonna be such a good recovery. Talk about symptoms because I think it's important that people understand they're different in men and women. So talk about them, doctor.
2: So with the symptoms of stroke, the the important thing to remember is that it's abrupt. You know, this is not something that slowly develops over days or weeks or a couple hours strokes occur within minutes you'll get the symptoms so it can be anything from facial droop where one side of the face is drooping Um, inability to speak Uh, language is a big part of stroke there's a big part of your brain that's represented by language and so people have difficulty with speaking or with what they say doesn't make any sense Um, obviously all of a sudden you can't move an arm or a leg that's also important those are very obvious uh signs and symptoms of stroke. And so when
0: you see symptoms, back to what Dr. Fernberg said, it's necessary and to immediately move to the hospital, get treated, and see if there's an issue because the opportunity for recovery with the advanced
2: treatments there, and it's significant, but you've got to get there in time. Correct. You have to show up early. The earlier, the better. And the, the most important thing, really, if you can, call EMS you know, they'll get you as fast, you know, as possible to the, to the best place possible. Here in Missouri, we have a um, a system in place that they will direct you to the most appropriate hospital. You know, if you're out in the rural community, you know, if you only thing you can do is drive, that's fine. It would be better to if you can call EMS, get them there and they'll get you to the right place. And it's important for people to know. Yes. Let's switch gears a little bit,
0: Dr. Farenberg, and let's talk about epilepsy. There's been you know, a lot of talk about advanced stroke treatment, and here, there's been a lot of remarkable advances in the treatment of epilepsy, so let's talk a little bit about that today, and what are some of those advances, or what do we see today in the treatment of seizures of epilepsy, doctor? So,
3: you know, back in the early 1900s, we had, or throughout them, the majority of the 1900s, we had maybe three drugs for epilepsy. Now, we've got Probably over twenty drugs at this point, um, and a new medication comes out every year. A lot of those medications are are better in the sense now that the side effect profiles are so much better. You know, we're able to help people with epilepsy just live normal lives, and they don't—they're not just sleeping all day with their medications. The what I would say though is the the biggest thing would be in surgical treatments for epilepsy uh, is where the the biggest um, Sort of the biggest improvements have been. We don't necessarily do those surgical procedures at St. Francis, but we work closely with other centers in order to get patients to them if they need that. So, for instance, if a if a patient has one of the most common types of epilepsy, um, which is temporal lobe epilepsy, sometimes there can be some scarring in one of those one of those temporal lobes, and there's a procedure that that can be done, which can take someone who has maybe one or two seizures per week for many years it, there's a, there's a procedure that can be done to make them completely seizure free about 70% of the time in fact
0: that's amazing I had no idea and I've been doing these shows for a long time so it, that's got to be a relatively new procedure
3: it's actually not so it's actually a pretty old procedure it's just what we've realized in epilepsy care is used to people would just try medication after medication after medication and, and sort of just beat their head up against the wall um, so to speak, in, in in treatment. But what we know now is that if you fail two or more medications, if they're adequately dosed and adequately chosen, the likelihood of you being seizure free on just medications is very very small. And so now we're getting people to a surgical workup a lot faster than we when than we ever were in the past
0: so are you seeing you mentioned 20 medications there's a lot of different that's a lot of different medications how do you determine when somebody comes in if they're having a grand mal seizure or whatever different type of seizure they're having how do you determine what medications to give them over a period of time and do they actually become seizure free uh, or is that difficult to do doctor
3: so approximately 50 percent of people will be seizure free on their first medication about 11, uh, an additional 11% will be seizure-free on a second medication, and you only gain about 4% on a third medication. After that, it's it's unlikely to be. So about one-third of patients are in what we call intractable or drug-resistant, meaning that you can't treat the epilepsy solely with medications, or you can't make them seizure-free solely with medications. But for the other 65%, you can make them completely seizure free with medications
0: so you've basically got 61 percent of the people that you can treat with medication effectively and they can live a relatively normal life is that a reasonable assumption doctor
3: it is and the, the way so the the way that we choose the medication is is twofold one is the type of epilepsy whether it's focal meaning it starts in one part of the brain and spreads or if it's generalized meaning that it starts all over the brain at the same time i take that because certain medications work for focal and um, certain medications work for generalized. And then I take the, the, the side effect profile. So there's certain medications that, can, that um, are more likely to make people sleepy. There's more uh, certain medications that are more likely to make them lose weight or gain weight. And you just you, you look at the whole patient and then you make your decision off of the side effect profile as to what is better for them. If they're super skinny and can't gain weight, well then a medication that is more likely to make them gain weight is probably a better option. If they're, and you wanna stay away from anything that could cause weight loss, obviously. So it's just you tailor it to the whole patient basically.
0: It's interesting, so I'm assuming then that the other 39%, they become candidates for surgery. Is that typically how it works? So
3: some of them do, Um, and so that's kind of the job of, of the epileptologist. so uh we're the uh, we're the one specialty in neurology that gets the fancy name I'm um, good i don't have to repeat that yeah. so i appreciate the fact that yeah. you did it okay um and so you know if a patient's intractable then they really should be seeing an epilepsy specialist or an epileptologist is what we like to call ourselves and so then we make the decision based off of the way the seizures present themselves the way they th- the way they flow through the seizure Based off of the EEG, um, the imaging studies like MRI and various things to, to determine, okay, is this patient a good candidate for a surgery? And if surgery, which surgery? Okay. And if not, it's not like we just kind of throw our hands up in the air and say there's nothing we can do. We continue to try to make the best medication adjustments and, and combinations that we can to make the seizures as as less frequent as possible. Well,
0: thank you very much, Doctor. We come back from the break. We're going to continue this conversation on epilepsy. Then we're going to move on to surgery and talk about that conversation and how that works. So stay tuned. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. We'll be right back. back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA. My producer, Mr. Paul Vernon. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. This is your show. Again, thank you for joining us in studio with me, Dr. Mark Farenberg, Dr. Andrew Godby, and Dr. Brandon Scott, all from St. Francis Healthcare System. And they are here from the Neurological Institute talking about these issues. So, we're going to go back to a little, this is an opportunity to educate and learn about these issues. So, let's, having said that, let's go back to epilepsy And let's just define epilepsy, doctor. So how do people know if they've got epilepsy? They haven't had a seizure, but how would they know if they have the symptoms of epilepsy, doctor? Sure. So,
3: you know, seizures are the symptom of of epilepsy. But what what I I hear sometimes is, oh, I just, you know, I have seizures. I don't have epilepsy. And so sometimes people don't take it quite as serious and don't undergo those, uh, you know, treatments that, that we would like to. To kind of get them back to normal and so epilepsy is simply having a tendency to have seizures so some sort of brain abnormality or pathology that makes it more likely to have a seizure and so once you've had two unprovoked meaning there was no infection or, or drug or, or anything that caused the seizure so two unprovoked seizures in your lifetime you technically fit the diagnosis for epilepsy and you should be on medication
0: So how does it manifest itself in children? I mean, you know, you hear about heat-related seizures, those kinds of things. Um, How does it manifest itself in children if it's not a full-blown seizure? So there are so many different
3: types of seizures. And what people don't realize is seizures can look differently based off of where they arise from in the brain. So, you know everyone hears of the classic grandma seizure that's where you have you know full body uh, stiffening and then shaking what people don't know is that any seizure if it starts out focal can actually generalize into that type of seizure so you know even seizures where let's say a person stares off and they may sort of smack their lips for a second or do some non-purposeful movements of their of their hands that can be a seizure Um, oftentimes they don't present until that you know, that big seizure. But then looking back, you're like, you know what? Those were, those were probably seizures. Now with with um, children, you know, they also can have something called absence seizures where they just stare off and there's, you know, you can't get their attention. And then once they snap out of it, they just go right back to doing what they were doing. But a lot of times it can seem like they're not paying attention in school because they're having these right. and they don't know it. No one knows it. Right. Um, There are febrile seizures, though, Um, so so when a, a kid's around toddler age, if they have a high fever, a lot of times they can have a seizure. Um, And that doesn't necessarily mean
0: they're going to go on to to develop epilepsy. We consider that a provoked seizure. That's interesting testing for these things. You know, if you know parents, if you're listening to this and they think they've got a problem with the child or an an adult thinks that they may have an issue, what type of testing do you do to determine if they've got epilepsy?
3: So the the biggest part of diagnosing someone with epilepsy or or figuring out, you know, do they have seizures or not, if they're not the big obvious seizures, uh, the biggest thing is seeing a neurologist and taking that really good thorough history. Um, cause I can, I can make a diagnosis most of the time off of just the history. Um, That's amazing. Then, then we, you know, we add in uh, something called an EEG. Right. So that helps us look at the brain waves and that can tell us, okay, are there any spikes in any particular area of the brain that makes it more likely to have seizures from there? Um, you know, then we complement that with an MRI. Okay. Uh, we like to use a, a, a little higher magnitude uh, MRI um, at St. At Francis. It's called a 3T, so it's measured in teslas, um, And so that gives us really good views of the brain, and we do special protocols to look at in specific areas of the brain which are more likely to, to have a seizure focus.
0: So Dr. Scott let's talk a little bit about let's switch gears here and let's talk a little about surgical procedures you specialize in neck and spine surgeries let's talk about that now and what you do here at St. Francis how do you treat it and where those where are those treatments today and the conversations we've had with both doctors now and the advances we've seen let's start with what you do here at St. Francis Dr. Scott.
1: So at St. Francis, is a neurosurgeon myself and the other neurosurgeons, we focus on uh, spine care, um, which would include you know um, pain originating from the low, the low back, the neck region, pain radiating down the arms or legs. Um, we also uh, also treat peripheral nerve uh, syndromes you know, um, like carpal tunnel syndrome um, um, and ulnar nerve syndrome basically focusing on the spine and you know the uh, nerves in your arms and legs
0: so basically if someone comes into you and they're having these kind of issues lower back pain tingling in the arms that kind of thing you're able to evaluate that and see if there is a surgical procedure to correct the issue
1: yes uh, by the time the patient um, arrives to our office the family doctors um started the workup typically and um uh, in our office, we usually, you know, we start out with the imaging, uh, taking a look at seeing, seeing exactly what is um, going on in the spine, and seeing if we can try to figure out why they are having the pain in the spine, and as well as uh, why they're, if they are having uh, pain going down the arms and legs, trying to find out um, if there is a nerve involved, and, and you know what nerve is that, and and uh, treatment options for them.
0: So, are there technologies now advanced things that have changed? Are these minimally invasive surgeries, or do they minim- or or Are they not minimally invasive surgeries?
1: So, in the last uh, you know twenty years uh, in spine care um, for uh, surgery, we've all focused on um, minimally invasive, um, and so the, these surgeries are, are becoming more and more minimally invasive. And, and what I mean by minimally invasive is basically a smaller and smaller incision. So we've went from you know um, a very large incision in the lumbar spine uh, or back surgery um, to you know a, an inch or two. Um, so yes, we're. Um, um, Nowadays, if you're um, having spine surgery, it's more than likely going to be a minimally invasive procedure.
0: So how does that affect recovery time? So they come in, you know, like back in the day, they were not doing minimally invasive surgery. Recovery times are pretty significant. What do they look like now? And what are the chances, you know, for lower infection because they're not having to do as radical a surgery, doctor?
1: So it's kind of, um, it's, um uh, so 20 years ago or even whenever i, I got a, a, was uh, training um the patients would um have these large incisions and they would stay in the hospital for up to a week um on um heavy medications um nowadays um doing that same type of surgery just minimally invasive we can send them home in one to two days um with uh, minimal um uh, medications you know uh, the uh, with the opioid uh, pandemic um it's um uh, the opioid crisis it's, um, you know, the, the key is to trying to get them um, home with, um, you know, decreased um, pain medications. Um, and with this minimally invasive approach, we've been able to succeed with that.
0: So, when is surgery, you know, somebody experiences these issues, when is surgery the best option for them versus doing something like physical therapy, yoga, Pilates, whatever the case may be?
1: So, when they first come to the office, um, you know, the the main goal of uh, our office uh, or or myself seeing the patient is to to try to avoid uh, for them to have surgery, even though I'm a surgeon, it's better for them to not have surgery. So, um, conservative treatment is is the goal. So, when someone comes in, you know, with these symptoms, um, we we try to, to do the most conservative treatment uh, first, whether it's chiropractic care, whether it's uh, physical therapy. Um, and um, if th- that fails, then we move on to pain management, which we're giving steroid shots into the back to try to decrease the inflammation. And the last possible result is going to be surgery, but that, That is not our our goal at all is is to try to get them back functional with a better quality of life um, without surgery.
0: You know, and so in some cases, this is interesting for me to hear because I don't remember too many doctors talking about chiropractic. So you actually recommend chiropractic in some situations.
1: Yes, in some situations, uh, chiropractic care is excellent. Um, you know, uh, we also uh, treat uh, um, SI dysfunction, which is a little bit lower down in the back, um, or a lot of uh, females, um, if they've been pregnant, they uh, have some problems with the uh, uh, malalignment of the SI joint. Um, that is a perfect situation for a chiropractic uh, care where they can you know readjust the, uh, the um, uh, sacroiliac joint and give them pain relief. So, in certain situations, um, chiropractic care is excellent.
0: And does it make a difference for people that? Yes. And does it affect the range of motion and all the other issues that are attached to these kinds of things that they have to deal with?
1: Yes. In, in certain situations, it, it, it does help out with the range of motion and, and um, getting that patient back to um, their um, baseline.
0: So fair to say when they come in, if you think there's another course of treatment and you tried that first and it doesn't work, then maybe there'll some type of surgical procedure. Is that correct? Yes. That's different. That's interesting. It's not something I expected to hear, so that chiropractic can actually be recommended. That's very interesting to learn. When we come back to the break, we're going to wrap it up. We're going to ask Dr. Gosby to talk more about St. Francis Healthcare System, all the encompassing work they do here in neurological treatment, neurological surgery, all of that. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate. Once again, that website, if you're looking for it for St. Francis Healthcare System, is SE sfmc.net sfmc.net you can make an appointment online there Schedule in to see one of the doctors you can do that on the website at sfmc.net stay tuned we'll be back with more You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIE Radio Network. I'm your host, Carrie Hall, my producer, Paul Vernon. You can learn more about us by going to the website, americashealthcareadvocate.com. If you've got questions, send me an email. A lot of information here today, kind of like drinking out of a fire hose. You know, you've got somebody in your family, a husband, wife, a grandmother, uncle, whatever, and you're recognizing some of these issues. Maybe you think they've got an issue with epilepsy or possible stroke or something. Else, go back to the podcast platform SoundCloud iTunes, Apple Play, Spotify, all the shows are posted up there and you can uh, listen to this. You've got three experts here uh, sitting here going through all these different treatment protocols. It's a tremendous opportunity to learn and understand. So, once again, go to the website. All that information is up there. the website for St. Francis Healthcare System is sfmc.net sfmc.net if you want to schedule an appointment. You know, doctor, there is a perception sometimes in rural America that because Because my hospital is in rural America, it's not as good as the big city hospitals. If I get cancer, I need a surgery, maybe I've had a stroke, whatever the case may be,
2: I need to go to the big city hospital. That's a false narrative, is it not? It is very much a false narrative. Um, When you think about the care you can receive at St. Francis Medical Center, um, it's more a discussion on what we don't do than what we do. You know, we don't do burns. We don't do rare pediatric disorders and we don't do rare disorders.
0: You've got a NICU unit. We do have a level three it, NICU, there. yes. Yeah. <laughs>
2: like holy cow, they've got a NICU unit we here. We have a NICU, we have a trauma center, um, we have a stroke center. Um, it, we, if you need care, St. Francis, majority of the time we'll be able to take care of you. You
0: know, unit. it's an amazing hospital, it's an amazing facility. I spent quite a bit of time there the other day. I was able to do a complete tour. I was pleasantly surprised by a lot of things that I saw. I've read a lot about the hospital, so let's talk about the LeapFrog Award because you know that th- your hospital and the other doctors have talked about this on some of the other broadcasts you're measuring yourself nationally against other hospitals so you know that tells you where you rate and where you rate in in this case in as one of the higher echelon hospitals across the country that caught my eye when I was going through the website for information let's
2: talk a little bit about leapfrog and what it is so leapfrog is a way to actually compare other hospitals you know how I mean. It, as a consumer of medicine, of healthcare, you know, how do you, how do you know wh- which hospital is, is a good quality hospital to go to? And so LeapFrog is a way, um, to measure that. So LeapFrog really looks at safety. You know of the hospital, and we have achieved grade A. So that's the highest level um, for the seventh evaluation in a row. So um, they, don't, they don't do this annually. It's twice, maybe four times a year. They, they or I think it's twice a year. They they grade the hospital, and we've gotten an A in um, safety. Because it's really about, you know, if you go to this hospital, what's the likelihood, you know, something bad is going to happen? I mean, that's one of the concerns people have. And so LeapFrog is a way to objectively measure it. You know, they look at to see, do you have board certified um, intensivists in your ICU? You know, do you, you know, what's the likelihood of getting an infection in the hospital? You know, what's the your mortality of the hospital likely to die? You know, these are big things, but these are really important factors when considering a hospital. You know, you don't, Want to go to a hospital where you know there's a high chance of of injuring yourself that has nothing to do with why you're in the hospital? You know, it, it's all about safety, and so Leapfrog is a way to objectively measure that. You know, compare other hospital systems, other hospitals. You know, what what grade did they get on Leapfrog? Um, and so it's it's nice, you know, for people who are interested or are concerned about their local hospital. You know, how do they measure up? And so Leapfrog is a is a great way that we stand out. Um, as grade a seventh in a row. Um, and so it's it's we are a quality hospital. We we focus on quality. We focus on evidence based practices. We focus on treating okay. our patients you know okay. the best possible way. So you know you
0: mentioned that this is the seventh in a row. This is an ongoing process. You don't just get the reward and then move on uh, in three or four years. This is a constant evaluation every year. and That's how
2: they do this. Is that correct? Yes, they're always evaluating, reevaluating. Because really, quality is about continuously evaluating yourself. Improving yourself. This is not just, okay, I've achieved top quality. I'm done. No, it's, you know, I've achieved top quality. How do we improve? How do we maintain? Um, you know, medicine is constantly changing. As Dr. Farenberg had mentioned, you know, with epilepsy, you know, we have 20 drugs. Are you doing this the best way? You know, we are going to establish an epilepsy monitoring unit, you know, for, to take better care of our patients. How do we choose the best patient for the surgery? You know, and the epilepsy monitoring unit is a, is a fabulous a resource that we're going to implement at the hospital. So we're always looking to improve quality um, in patient care.
0: Before we run out of time, doctor, I want to ask you to talk about the stroke team here that is a big deal. Uh, you've described it. I'd like the audience to understand what it is, and when you show up the ER and you're manifesting symptoms, you're actually going to be, see the stroke team. How does that work?
2: So, our stroke care team is not one neurologist, one stroke specialist. We have a group. It is a a, a multidisciplinary group from the um, ER staff, to our nursing, to our neurohospitalists to predominantly just treat disorders in the hospital, um, to our rehab unit, to all the neurologists, the specialists, radiologists, you know, when we meet as a team every two months, kind of review how we're doing um, from a quality standpoint, we look at different metrics. Um, that, that team is comprised of people from the ER, from the hospital floor, um, radiology, um, neurology, um, all the nursing staff, rehab. I mean, it's, it's a team-based approach when you're treating care and strokes especially. So when someone comes here, they have
0: all those resources at their disposal and all those doctors, all those clinicians, that's all part of St. Francis healthcare system. That's very different than a lot of other hospitals.
2: It's a team-based approach and everyone from physicians to nursing to um, everyone who interacts with our patients, we're always focused on how do we improve. And with stroke care, it's vital you have a team-based approach. And it is a remarkable rate of
0: recovery. Many people are able to recover because of the advanced science behind the technology and the treatment. And that's Part of having that whole team, yes, yes, it's important. We want to thank you all very much for coming today and doing this. We think we educated the audience a lot. This is a lot of information that is being broadcast nationally, even though we're focused here in Southeast Missouri. We really appreciate as busy as all of you are that you took the time to be here today. So once again, thank you, doctors. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. So now, ladies and gentlemen, I leave you with this thought from Doctor Albert Einstein: "The one who follows the crowd will usually get no further than the crowd. The one." who walks alone is likely to find himself in places no one has ever been. Remember, friends, it's a funny thing about life. If you refuse to accept anything but the very best, you most often get it. Thank you for listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting here on the HI Radio Network, coast to coast, across the USA. Goodbye, America.